0: Oh, when Saturday's sun, purple prism, loosens my long-tensed vision, and where had haunted hundreds of eight-legged apparitions, first flesh, fresh-dissolved shapes, now a merry-painted mission.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Solocene, the podcast where we imagine a beautiful, sustainable, tactile future, and apparently, eight-legged visions.
2: Yeah, well,
0: you know, that's me. I, um, I wrote that poem for the listeners who don't, who don't know. Um, <laughs> and this one, I suppose it doesn't really tie in that much to today's episode. It just kind of came to me and I thought it'd be a fun exercise in alliteration. Mm. And as I was writing it, I thought, oh, this is fun. I'll put first, flash, fresh.
2: Mm-hmm. But then when
0: it came time to, <laughs> to read it, I kind of chuckled to myself and realized I'm going to have to do this very slowly, which is why the reading sounded quite awkward but it's more just a generic solo an ideal I guess about receiving input into mm-hmm. your mind into your thoughts and then kind of tessellating or being deconstructed first into fresh shapes newly dissolved out of what might have been scary or mm-hmm. eight-legged in my case and then kind of reconstituting these things into a mission mm. and I, I just kind of came to that term because one it rhymed which is always nice in poems. And two, it's like, this is kind of how I, how I imagine life or how I think life should be in the solo scene, which is you take things in and you, you repurpose them into a big task or a big goal. Mm. And this word also mission obviously has the religious connotation of it saving you from the eight legged apparitions.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's part of the solo scene vision is giving people a sort of tool. To translate the inputs into positive outputs instead of just having all these oftentimes negative inputs that we get from the news, from just witnessing kind of unfortunate things in the world. And sometimes it can manifest in negative ways in bad mental health or in a sense of apathy or a sense of like paralysis in action. So we want to have this sort of prism. Prism, Double exactly. Prism. Yeah, I'm picturing that math thing where they had, like, the machine. Yes, I know. Like that. But conveyor belt. Yeah, <laughs> but that was always a bad metaphor. Also, one more note, just a fun anecdote for people who listen and don't live in the Solacene headquarters. Oftentimes, I'll come home from work or just come home from a day at the cafe or whatever, and they'll be, like, pieces of paper scattered around the house with different, like, alliterations or different little poetic
0: Will there be? I don't. I, I don't always find this that
1: that's because you just they kind of fall off you sure. as you say. <laughs> they do. So like yesterday, I came it's home like and there was just cells. yeah, there was just kind of like these little poetic.
2: I don't remember, but
0: <laughs> maybe there's a maybe there's a poetry ghost hanging around that I never see.
1: There might be. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> before we get into today's main discussion, which is primarily about internet language, I suppose, as well as internet politics and internet moderation or censorship, a brief shameless plug. If you like Solar Seam Podcasts, you can buy our handmade zines. We have four of them, and they are available through the link in the description. I sew them myself.
1: Oh, do just, you now? Uh,
0: we wrote everything in them, and we print them with our own blood, sweat, and tears. And also, you can watch us on YouTube if you'd like to see mm-hmm. us. Solar scene Podcasts on YouTube. And even if you just like listening to the audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or SoundCloud or wherever mm. it may be, Leave a rating and review. I don't think you've done that yet, Alicia, but...
1: I don't know if I have.
0: You don't listen to so <laughs> um, And the, the subscribe thing.
1: Yeah. Do subscribe. it. I heard a funny plug on a podcast a couple days ago, and it was like, do you have friends? Do you know people? Do they have phones? Take their phones, <laughs> open yeah. up their app, and subscribe <laughs> to I our actually
0: podcast. I did that to somebody last week.
1: <laughs> yeah. I always... <laughs> Because I'll say, oh, like people are genuinely interested in the podcast. I'll say, oh, it's called Solacene. But it's not a word. Like it's a word we made up. So people are like, oh, Solacene. And like, you know, they'll forget it. So I'm always like, write it down.
0: (laughs) Yes. S-O-L-A-C-E-N. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's always, I feel bad. But I'm also like, often when my friends end up subscribing, they end up enjoying it. So maybe your friends will too. (laughs) So internet lingo, slang keeping up with the cool kids, how do you feel about internet lingo? Do you use it? Do you feel behind the times? Do you feel like you're up to date with the times?
0: Well, I wanted to kind of preface this question by really narrowing down what I was referring to anyway last week when I came up with the question of internet terminology Mm -hmm. leaking into into wider usage. Because I think so often it's just slang from different subcultures becoming prominent through the internet which wasn't really what I meant. Mm -hmm. Like I know everyone kind of talks like they're from the streets now or something. And it's like, this is cringy. um, And I'll get into cringe a bit later, but that's not really what I meant. I mean, I know they discovered that and it was kind of amplified through the internet, but I was referring to specific like internet born slang or lingo Mm -hmm. that has perhaps leaked into wider usage.
1: Yeah. I broke it down into three categories. The first is abbreviations, which is kind of the furthest from what you're saying. L O L LOL, LMAO, like all of those. That's the
0: closest to what I'm saying.
1: Oh, okay. The second is tech words. So like selfie, crowdfunding,
2: yeah.
1: cyberbullying. And then the third is appropriated meaning. So like words that had a meaning before, like trend had a meaning before, mm. but now it has a different meaning. And social networking had yeah. a meaning before, now it has a new one. So those Meme, were kind of as
2: we talked about before. Exactly. On
1: so those were the three categories I broke it into.
0: Those are quite appropriate. I think I had three also just different examples that perhaps kind of align with those also. But just sort of as a side note, cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. That's not thats <laughs> not real, right? <laughs> I was kind of thinking about that this week, that we could have that as a segment for another episode, but it mm-hmm. felt a bit too mean-spirited. So we'll just say it here. It's not.
1: Aaron, significant. I think it has a huge influence on people. Yeah, Because they're addicted to the internet And right. think it's real Yeah. So in the solar scene people will know that the internet isn't real But right now it really is quite real to people And therefore it is I think real But we differ on this
0: So, abbreviations, <laughs> LOL
1: So you don't want to air the grievances
0: OMG, IKR Are there any others that you use?
1: I use OMW on my way But I don't use that in real life
0: I really like, oh yeah that's an- that's another good point mm-hmm. Who uses these in real life? Nobody I don't know, but the I guess the question is: Does our usage of them in text and on the internet somehow affects how we are in real life?
1: Yeah, I think that's more realistic because people don't even say LOL anymore. No, no, no. Like, I feel like in twenty ten to twenty fifteen, it was kind of people would say LOL, lols, like all these different
2: mm.
1: abbreviations when speaking. But how it influences our actual speech and long-form writing, I think, is that when you're texting, because we text every day, even if it's a comment or, like, to another person, you use abbreviations, and more importantly, I think, you use emojis, which enable you to not fully articulate yourself. Like, you can just kind of put an emoji at the end as a sort of punctuation slash, like, tone setter, and you then don't have to choose super specific words to actually convey your tone or convey what you're trying to say. You can just put, like, a fire emoji, and it means whoa that's so sweet and then when we try and speak to another human it's like we don't have these tools to use like we don't have abbreviations or sayings or emojis so we kind of end up being inarticulate or like not especially specific when we choose our words then often i find when i'm talking to someone online you know what i mean or like you you get it even if maybe they don't but it's kind of just like well you, you get the gist sort of thing
0: oh you'll just say that you mean yeah yeah, I I worry sometimes that we do that too much on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> because we just assume that everybody listening is on our wavelength, mm-hmm. but we're on theirs. And I think for the most part, they probably are if they're a long time listener. But we just kind of go, you know, yeah, like that.
1: We like cars, you know.
0: Speaking of which, I like the acronym I Y K Y K.
1: If you know, you know. Yeah. I like that too. It just looks cool. Uh, yeah. I always like say it in my head like Yoke or something like that. <laughs> like, I always <laughs> do. You. I always read abbreviations. Sounded <laughs> kind of like a bubble. Like noises. <laughs> yeah i'm like i mean you know how i am with letters and spelling so i often (laughs) yeah like when i read something online it's probably Mm -hmm. not exactly how everyone else does yeah
0: (laughs) but i do think i think we nailed it there which is that in the early days of the internet there was rather maybe a a, i'm not sure how actually real life this was but even in media or in television or in books marketed for kids a kind of deliberate push to have people using lol in real life Mm -hmm. like omg like people talking like that and it's like That was a fad if it ever even was a thing. Yeah. But the more subtle ways in which internet's, um, grammar, let's call the grammar of the internet has, um, has infected spoken word or, as you say, more kind of legitimate written long form things. I think that's, that's really interesting. And that's why I was kind of looking this week a bit more at the form of, say, tweets or Tumblr blogs compared to the exact Um, words, Mm -hmm. because I don't know that there actually is that much lingo. I mean, you talked in your three categories, there's the acronyms, which we already said people don't really use. Mm -hmm. There's the just straight up new technology words, which need to exist because there needs to be a a word for selfie, tweets, hashtag, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And similarly, the appropriation of words, that that just seems like another natural evolution. Mm -hmm. So regarding the form, I was reading this article in The Guardian, which was called How the Internet is Changing Language as we know it and it was talking a lot about the dissolution of punctuation in tweets Mm. especially in certain areas of twitter certain parts of twitter Mm -hmm. and also on tumblr and how capitalization is an optional thing and it means something different yeah i mean like the the obvious example is like the person who capitalizes every word in a tweet it's Mm -hmm. like you would never do that writing but it you read it in a different way, so it means something different. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, someone who only texts in lowercase. So like yeah. that that often signifies a certain type of thing. And of course, when you when you partner this with emojis or gifts or whatever it may be, like this it flavours it in the, in quite a unique way. And I was wondering, and this article was talking about how this is already becoming almost a trope in poetry and more experimental fiction. This kind of Dissolved Prose, which is also a little bit where I got the poem to start the episode from. I remember reading a few years ago that someone wrote their thesis for some university projects all in lowercase with no punctuation mm-hmm. or, or completely experimental use of punctuation. They were arguing, this is my voice. And this is also the voice of a lot of young people because mm-hmm. this is how we communicate online. And me as someone who really loves classic literature and is quite a traditionalist in that regard, initially you balk at it and you're like this is a a gimmick Mm
2: -hmm.
0: or even you could say this is people who don't know how to write properly Mm -hmm. but i think that's a bit of a closed-minded take on it so what do you think about this do you think this is good bad the future of writing question mark
1: yeah i was reflecting on this quite a bit about like the dissolving of language and how it evolves
0: or even like if i text you a question often I'll exclude the question mark. Yeah. And it is a a semi-conscious thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's quite interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's bad per se. Like, at first it was annoying. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. when people first started texting each other, it was just, like, lazy to leave Mm -hmm. out things. But then I think there was, like, a conscious push to use punctuation. Like, people who chose to use punctuation when texting, like, it was a conscious choice. But now I think it's kind of evened out where it's, like, it's all conscious, whereas before it was just like a lazy thing. And now it's like, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't leave yeah. the question mark, it's just like efficiency. And that's what language but does. But it's not just
0: efficiency, though, is what I'm saying. It it adds a certain something to it. Yeah. Like, if I say to you, what for dinner?
2: Mm. No
0: question mark. Or if we pay say, like, all proper punctuation, what would you like to eat for dinner or something mm-hmm. like that? You know, it's a big difference. And yeah. also... On Twitter, which is obviously a more public thing than DMs, I feel it's a way of signaling your own personality, Mm -hmm. um, likes and dislikes, politics even. Mm -hmm. Like you think about who would do one of those keyboard mashes at the end of a sentence, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know if that has a specific word. It's like you wouldn't imagine some Republican senator doing that. Yeah. But maybe a Democrat
1: one. Yeah, perhaps. So So I think... Yeah, I think this is fine. Like the artistic choice to yeah. just like express yourself through letters how you want. Because I mean, like 300 years ago, probably way less than that. I'm not exactly to sure the timeline. There were like a handful of literate people. Mm. It's like now everyone's literate. And it's just like inevitable that the language is going to evolve quite quickly. And yes. the internet definitely facilitates that. But I think it would have happened no matter what. And also, I think... I mean, it's hard because we're English-speaking, but from an outsider's perspective on the French language, the internet's proliferation of simplified language into the spoken word is making the language more accessible to people who are learning it. What, French? French, yeah. Because, I mean, French specifically was... I mean, a lot of the structures within the language were used to exclude people from learning the language. Like, it was a high, like... aristocratic language like they made it intentionally complex Mm -hmm. so it's kind of cool that like the people are like reclaiming it yeah and the internet's really facilitating that and it's fun now learning french like i find it enjoyable whereas in school because we were being taught the very very proper version and not exactly how people spoke it was like frustrating and i feel like i would never actually learn that but then when you actually communicate with people in french they use this sort of simplified language which was facilitated by the internet to yeah. be born. And I think it's kind of nice. It makes languages more accessible to people. And I also saw a little bit, I think it was in the same Guardian article. It might've been a different article about how the internet is forming a Creole language, which is a language that is kind of a mishmash of other languages and just like fun things. So like, it's kind of like a people-made language. Like Portuguese is one, uh, French is one now like it wasn't originally and yeah, there's a whole bunch of them all over the world. And it's like a language that very quickly emerges
2: mm.
1: and then is like, has a huge user base basically. Okay. And it says that the internet might within a few years, like make its own language because you even think about how often online words leak from other languages in a way that I feel like they didn't used to as quickly. Like, um, hige, like the word for like coziness, if you send yeah. that to someone online, they for the most part would know what it is, even though it's a...
0: True. Like, also, the good thing about those is that you don't need to know how to pronounce them because they're always written. Yeah, it's true. The the German word Schadenfreude or whatever mm-hmm. it is, it's like, yeah, the internet accelerates these kind of things yeah. in quite an interesting way. When you said hundreds of years ago, I, th- I thought you were going to talk about the evolution of like apostrophes in the English language,
2: um, yeah. where we say
0: doesn't instead of does not, mm-hmm. or even does instead of doth. Like the, the evolution, it always it always happens. Yeah. I like. I say I, I like old literature, so I think there's a place for both the really beautiful, formal, ornamental, mm-hmm. sometimes even deliberately archaic style of writing mm-hmm. or speaking, and also the the ultra efficient type. Yeah, I, think I there's don't a place really for that. think that university theses should be written with emojis with them, but yep. you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a place for it. and Academia seems like the place for more formal language because it's like. The formal language is technically more accessible in a way because it's what everyone kind of has as a base. Mm. Like It's what we learned in yeah, school. Yeah, there's,
0: there's books written about it. And yeah. To teach it, etc.
1: Yeah. The final thought I had on this is within languages, like there's the English, as in British, and then the American version of English. Yeah. And it's like with the internet I feel like those two have completely merged very quickly in a way because like I don't know how to spell favorite neighbor because I just constantly see the Two different spellings with the O and the U. Which do you prefer? It just depends on the day. Like <laughs> I completely mix them up. Like yeah, if I'm just,
0: I generally prefer the the American
1: with the U. No, that's without. Without it's just easier.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. What about meter? <laughs> M e t e r. Okay. How do you?
0: That's the American.
1: How would? M e t r e. Oh.
0: But not me. Like I'm. Mitra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We met. Um. <laughs> Okay a couple more like examples I had. Cringe. I thought the proliferation of cringe, cringe cringeworthiness is quite interesting in that it somehow reflects the internet changing our own emotional responses to things. Mm. Like this is a word coming up not for any kind of new technology but for a new feeling that we're all feeling quite a lot on the internet. And leaking into real life. So it's like that's so cringe. I feel like people weren't People weren't cringing that much in the 60s.
2: No. So I thought maybe, yeah,
0: this strays a little bit from the, the linguistics, but next week we could talk a bit about the internet, how it has maybe changed our emotional reactions to things. Yeah. We things were going to talk about that this week, actually, but couldn't fit it in.
1: Yeah.
0: But I thought cringe was a good example of that.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a good segue into next week because...
0: Taylor Swift says, embrace cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, trending, as you already mentioned, that that kind of surprised me. Like, that only became a widespread Verb. There were mm-hmm. trends, fashion trends, for instance, in yeah. Things like the 50s, but something being trending.
1: It was. It's a new word. It's a, it's yeah. a new word
0: with social media. So that's that's quite interesting. I also, it, it brought me back to high school when I learned that relatable wasn't a word when my teacher <laughs> marked me down for it, and I was like, "What? That's just that is a word."
1: Yeah, and background also isn't a word. It well, might be now, now but, but in high school it wasn't, and I was like, "That doesn't like what would you say other than background." Yeah. Not just for, like, the background of a photo, but, like, someone's backstory, like, their background.
0: Well, you just said it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, I was thinking, I know I said this is that the internet lingo. Should, we should consider that distinct from other subcultures being popularized through the internet. But the one exception I, I think you can make is gaming culture. Because, mm. for me, that is born of the internet and is yeah. fundamentally internet in a way that, say, um, like socal surface slang isn't mm-hmm. even though people say dude now all the time yeah so i was thinking about like npcs
2: yeah the usage of that. i was going to use that as a
0: as a meme actually meme of the week but mm-hmm. i thought it's maybe a bit better here for language like you'll just hear people saying that now kind of unironically mm-hmm. which is you know one thing but also other other gamers saying someone's op like people talk about that in sports like someone's mm-hmm. overpowered the npc thing in particular maybe we can talk about how that is blurring the lines of reality and virtual reality for people so much because video games, obviously, not real. The mm. internet, quasi real in a lot of people's mm-hmm. minds. And so when you see other avatars on the internets, some of which are real people and a lot of which are actually bots, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes easy to just say everyone else is an NPC, non playable mm-hmm. character. Yeah,
1: and talk about the main character syndrome. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's it's a good very idea. Main
0: character syndrome, that's another one.
1: Yeah. This is good. I have a little anecdote about that. Yesterday, I went to see sheep. There's a park in Montreal that there's a section where instead of cutting the grass, they just have sheep roam. And if anyone knows me, you know that sheep, like I'm almost tearing up thinking about them. Like I love sheep so much. And (laughs) like we were walking, like I knew they were there, but like, and we were going to see them. And then I saw them in the distance. And like my friend was like, I've never seen you so excited. Like I just, it's this visceral reaction to them like i really love them and it's not like in a performative way they just evoke something in me anyway we went to see the sheep and there were these like four women like stationed around the edge of the sheep with like sticks and they were like the biggest npc energy i've ever seen because they were just kind of like react in, in response to the sheep as they moved like the- they were working there yeah.
0: <laughs> so you'd probably call me an NPC when I'm at work as well then.
1: Yeah, so they like moved around. But then there was this kid who was probably like two or three just rolling in the grass. And I was like, yeah, one of my friends was like, this is the biggest main character energy I've ever seen because he was just rolling in the grass but that's like, loving child. his life. <laughs> I know. And then these women who are just like being NPCs and the sheep were the, um, yeah. the main characters in my characters. The NPC thing is
0: actually really fascinating. The more mm-hmm. I think about it, the more I'm like, w- people are... You know, there's this growing awareness of the roles everybody plays in society. Mm-hmm. Like you walk into a store, and who's the NPC, the cashier,
2: mm-hmm. for
0: instance. So yeah, it's really—I mean, it's—it's it's a very narcissistic thing. I, oh, I super. Think also, yeah. And quite dangerous when you use it to talk about anything intellectual or poetical. Mm-hmm. But yeah, super interesting that has become so widespread. Yeah. Speaking of so widespread,
1: the meme of the week is really related to this. And it's the finger hashtags. When people, like, make hashtags with their fingers.
2: Never seen that. This
1: has... It's not common anymore. But I was reminded of it when thinking about memes in real life. Because there was a small era, 2013 to 2014, when people would go hashtag relatable or, like, hashtag cringe.
0: Do you have to pat them? And
1: you, well, for you the can syllables? Just, yeah, hashtag. You, like, pat your fingers together and make a hashtag with them. And it was created by nimrod kamer i don't know if that's how you pronounce his name he's like a comedian okay. but then it was made popular by the patron saint of the podcast jimmy fallon <laughs> <laughs> who did i it's burned to my memory i didn't even watch the youtube video because this is how many times my mom watched it she thought it was so funny and
0: <laughs> she's probably listening
1: <laughs> i know she she knows it's so funny and it was like jimmy fallon and um jonah hill and they were like I think they were dressed as girls and they were like pretending to be like teen girls like having a sleepover I don't know if you remember this series it was a series that they did and they were like yeah there's like he's so hashtag cute and he has such hashtag cute eyes and like (laughs) pretending to be kind of anyway it was proliferated and I had a moment and then I also realized what kind of reminded me of it was again my mom thanks for listening but (laughs) she used it the other day when I was talking to her I don't remember what it was. She was just like hashtag relatable or something. and
0: Yeah, I say that sometimes
2: as well.
1: Yeah. I think people like use hashtag, but it's kind of just like the boomers and the boomer in all of us. Right. They use it. Like, I don't think the cool kids today are actually still using hashtag like that. Except
2: ironically, which is how I use it. Yeah. Like as a joke.
1: So I think people (laughs) still use it, but it's funny. And I just thought it was a funny meme. And it's like funny that it evolved into a physical action because often just is verbal. Yeah. But like the visual hashtag which just is trying to tag something in like a web of stuff that is social media True. we use it like that and also that it's called a hashtag now whereas it used to be called pound
2: yeah i don't and like pound
1: no <laughs> but then there's the people who are like we'll tell you the phone number and they're like that symbol is a pound symbol and it's like right. well why would you use a word that people don't use mm. anyway that was my meme i just thought it was funny that it was physical Because I couldn't think of any other real physical memes for the most part.
0: I did. One of my memes of the week was Was physical physical memes, memes. but they weren't really internet-based. It was just like the turkey high five or cracking an egg on someone's Mm -hmm.
1: skull. I guess the dab is a physical meme. That's a dance
0: move, though. Yeah. That has become uh, something else. Yeah. A legacy of its own. Mm. So the next question of the day is whether or not the internet is a bad place for political discourse. And my preface to this one is that the internet is a medium, not a platform? So mm-hmm. when we're talking about it in the general terms, a good or bad place for X or Y, it's a bit of a of a fallacy to try and talk about it in so mm-hmm. in so broad a way. It's kind of like if we said, "Is print a good place for pr- political discourse?" It's like
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's a weird question. Yeah, or speech. <laughs> that's that's how the internet should be characterized. So I focus mostly on social media. Is mm-hmm. social media a good place for Twitter discourse? Which, again, you know, has its pros and cons because Twitter is very different from uh, MeeVus. Mm. So...
1: <laughs> <laughs> with the really hip, relevant examples. Yeah,
0: but I, I had the three kind of inherent traits of the internet, which I thought we could discuss from a, from a good or bad, and the only kind of universal traits mm-hmm. I could come up with. Um, the internet, for actually,
2: mm-hmm.
0: is has a very low to no barrier of entry Meaning that anybody can use it, but also meaning that, in theory, it's less top-down controlled authoritarian than is, say, television or the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. So I thought this is, it's kind of a mix in terms of its political effects, because that more grassroots transparency should, in theory, be a good thing, Mm -hmm. in theory, because I know the internet is actually not so free and, and... and organic, as, as we like to think. But also the fact that children can go on and become viral for saying political things, you know, it's like probably mm-hmm. not that great. And another thing is that the internet is pretty much always impersonal.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Similar to print, but even less personal, mm-hmm. I would say. It's also not tied to geography, which I think, again, is a, is a mix. Because it's like we can have opinions on the politics of australia australia and yeah. it's like we don't know anything about australia but because mm-hmm. of the internet we, we can follow it mm-hmm. moment to moment and also that it is instant so anything that happens is up there immediately you don't have to wait for the next morning for it to be printed in the newspaper mm-hmm. and i think this is largely just a good thing
1: yeah i think so there were definitely a few positives like you said like the transparency is i think for the most part positive like it's much harder to pull the wool over people's eyes like we've seen that in the last few years in theory i mean increasingly with ai and stuff it's less easy but in theory it's better because you can like see a literal video and be like that just was incorrect like how someone behaved and it's kind of like in football if a ref makes a mistake yeah. And everyone's just like, we literally have like the video footage, like we know you made a mistake in your call. Mm. And it's kind of like that with government and with yeah. political actors of like, we just saw you misspeak and like just say something racist or just say something unkind. And it's like, you can't exactly hide that. And then like brush over it as easily as they could have if it was like reported and be like, no, those reporters yeah. were lying or whatever. And you were saying the Internet's very... In familiar, like you don't actually know who's saying stuff so exactly. like it's all anon- anonymous but at the same time because of how humans work like we trust people we know and the internet makes us think we know people who we don't actually know mm. so they can like sell us ideas in a way that is really never before as strong a power like of course if it's like a tv show that you really liked and you've been watching for seasons then it decided to kind of incorporate a bit of political messaging like yeah that would be the same effect like you kind of feel familiar with these people and then you'd kind of sympathize with them yeah but because the internet's so much more about faces and about people building brands mm. it's like you don't even realize how much you're being influenced constantly because you might have like five youtubers you subscribe to and they're all different humans so you're like these are all it's a diverse range of yes yes thoughts but they all are kind of pushing the same agenda and then you are indoctrinated very quickly it's
0: possible that we should stop calling them internet personalities and start calling them internet characters
1: i think that's a good idea even
0: the likes of your wellness influences that you watch mm-hmm. on youtube like these type of people who seem unnatural, natural it's like oh you're mm-hmm. really seeing them it's still probably beneficial if you just call them characters because then it's more akin to in season eight of the big bang theory when sheldon starts talking about deforestation or something Mm -hmm. like that it's like sheldon is a character so Mm -hmm. he's giving you these i don't know if that actually happened in big bang theory probably not but you'd be able to to distance that from i don't know unbiased messaging Mm because you'd be like oh he's a character he's saying this he's been written to say that Mm -hmm. and i don't maybe it's not a good way of characterizing other humans but yeah characters personalities you know
1: They like, they know that they're presenting a story and that they're presenting a narrative. They don't think they're being fully authentic. Like, they know I'm putting together a 20 minute video from like a month's journey in wherever, and it's like, it's gonna be a highlight reel, and they're aware of it. And I think it's fine if we perhaps use this new phrasing of like this character on YouTube, because like, if you met them in real life, like, obviously, you would treat them like a real human. You wouldn't just be like, treating them like a character you'd be like oh hi like i like your videos Uh but yeah it's an interesting idea
0: so i think in the solo scene the plan is it's about designing platforms that maximize those strengths that i mentioned and kind of hide or minimize those those faults yeah and so like a couple points i think that politics in general should have some esteem Mm -hmm. and that's a bit of a vague word i don't mean elitism and people wearing suits and looking down on the masses Mm -hmm. and it being deliberately inaccessible and self-importance and you know a concentration of wealth or anything like that but i just mean it probably shouldn't share the same screen with like bts fan arts Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and silly memes Mm -hmm. because i do think there's been a degradation of discussion Mm -hmm. Which is probably not good. Like, people just kind of talk like children every time it comes to politics on the internet.
1: Yeah, I remember, like, when TikTok first took off, the NDP leader in Canada just was, like, trending on, like, TikTok. And it's like, but that's...
0: What do you mean, trending? Doing what?
1: Like, he was just doing all the dances. And and it's like, you're like a 45-year-old man. Like, I get that you're trying to relate, but it's like, you have to realize, as a grown human, that this platform is all children. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're going to influence them when they turn 18, they'll vote NDP. But it's like.
0: Another point is I I think anonymity is generally just a problem. I don't think think so. It's it's hard to actually solve this, Mm -hmm. but I think that's something the first step to solving it would be people actually acknowledging that. Mm -hmm. Like, if you just post, and anyone could have up to, I don't know, 100 Twitter accounts. Right. And the last point is what people always bemoan. With like the 24 hour news cycle driving people insane and the constant feed of disasters or, or crises or scandals. I feel like this is in a way a, a good thing. I have a certain accelerationist point of view on, on this, which is if it turns people off of, you know, being plugged into the news online, mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Let that happen. So I think in the solar scene that will like people will have kind of undergone that process. Either quite early or just as a culture, we've already undergone it. So like we understand don't be on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because I kind of went through that when I was like sixteen. Yep. When I was sixteen to seventeen. And then by the time I was eighteen, I was like, This is probably not good for people. This is not productive. All it does is degrade your your mind and mm-hmm. make you think bad of the world and other people. So
1: Canada. No, no point. Yeah. The final gripe I have on this political discourse online is that I have found it makes me more apathetic in a way because I get, because you very quickly turn into this little bubble of like activists online. And I'm like, everybody's doing environmental activism these days. Like really, it's not that much of a problem anymore because everybody's working towards good. Like it's it's really taking the pressure off in a way that isn't necessarily true but it's just because there's like a hundred people i see online all working towards the same cause that i am it makes me more apathetic and i'm like less driven than before i was on the internet i was like super driven to fight for climate justice and do environmental activism because i was like no one around me is doing this so it's like it really disconnects you from reality and i think can make you kind of apathetic and thinking that like the world's issues are solved yeah or whatever your cause may be like it might be oh, everyone on Instagram is selling their knitted things, so I shouldn't bother trying to knit, make a knit business because everyone's doing it. Yeah. But it's like, really, there's just like 500 people that you follow because you're a knitter. And mm. it's like, it kind of makes us less empowered and less motivated to do things politically. Or, I mean, those examples weren't necessarily political, but I can see how it would
0: yeah, I understand. translate. Final question for today is about censorship Slash moderation on the solar scene internets. And I had a few kind of general points on this. The first is that there will always be disputes over what is slash isn't acceptable on certain platforms, on mm-hmm. any platform actually. And there always have been, especially when such platforms are aiming for global use mm-hmm. and global coverage. So, like, for instance, hate speech. There's always going to be disputes about what is or isn't hate speech. They're just always, Even in the so scene, like, because people are people, there's always going to be disputes over that. So kind of the first point underlying everything else, underlining everything else, is that in the so scene, there is an acknowledgment that this will never be perfect, and also that big tech companies, who are, people are generally asking to be there, the people in charge of moderating such discourse, are not trustworthy, borderline are always fundamentally corrupt, mm-hmm. um, and therefore you don't really care that much about it, because it's like, the what I have written down is, it's like arguing for better customer service from Amazon. It's like it's just not going to happen. It's mm-hmm. it's innate to the size of the company, or the size of the, the website. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, this is I suppose a kind of accelerationism, where it's like, people will take their gripes in the solar scene with this, into forming more, real-life, local community groups mm-hmm. and more clubs like that. I think that's only a good thing. Yeah. So I don't really understand when people get really upset about, let's say, inconsistency in Facebook's content moderation. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's Facebook. Yeah, It's not going to be good.
1: Yeah, they just want people to stay on there. So even yeah. if something really hateful is going to get people to stay on there, like they might <laughs> not take it down yeah. right away because yeah. it's doing good things for their business model, big capitalism. I had a vision for solo because like often the conversation around moderation and censorship is like trying to distinguish between the two and technically at least in the united states like the first amendment which is for free speech is against government censorship mm. so it's like it's fine if a broadcasting channel chooses to not yeah air something but the censorship is like it not being allowed to be produced in the first place and it's like you're free to make your hateful tweet, but like if it goes against the community guidelines that you agreed to, like it's gonna be taken down, or mm. you can go to the hateful platform and post it over there. And people have this belief that they deserve a platform, they deserve to be heard, but that's not a right. <laughs> like I do think people deserve to like Yeah,
0: not by private organizations. Yeah. It's like going into a restaurant and saying, like, someone could kick you out of the restaurant yeah. for something random.
1: Exactly. And it's like, well, you had no right, like, uh, not no right to be there, but it's just like, if you want the millions of people on Twitter to listen to you, you have to follow the Twitter guidelines. And what I was trying to get at is in the solo scene discretion will be a big thing and that people will just be like, have a bit more self-awareness as, as to not post things that are negative and just kind of harmful.
0: But that, That's what I'm saying. Like, it's completely arbitrary. Yeah. So if they don't think what they're posting is negative or harmful, but Twitter deems it is, mm-hmm. they won't really get upset because they'll just be like, well, that's Twitter.
2: Yeah,
0: It's not a good, it's not a force for good. Yeah. But if I go out and make a club and we start mm-hmm. talking about this, then that's something different. Or if I start putting up posters, mm-hmm. you know, like real life stuff, that would yeah. be nice.
1: Yeah, a little more discretion, a little more real life stuff.
0: A couple other points. Um, I think in general in the solar scene, this is not really internet based, but there'll be less government overreach 1984 etc cetera, etc cetera. that's all i have written down here <laughs> i just i really don't like when that book's always invoked everything it softens it so much yeah and the final point which is i think probably most the most key one in with regard to censorship is that most platforms won't have any children on
1: yeah be it yeah
0: through the through the age limits or whatever <laughs> have written down age limits parenting So because I know a lot of platforms is like TikTok, don't you have to be 13? Yeah. But nobody is because all you have to do is lie. I mean, that's what I did when I was like eight and I had Facebook. Yeah. You can just very easily lie. So I don't know exactly how the platforms enforce this, which is why I have written down parenting. Yeah. (laughs) Because in the solo scene, everyone will know that no one should be on these platforms until they are age 55.
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) It's only for the boomers to be on Facebook and do their thing. But no, I think that's such a I didn't even think, like, no children, but, like, that makes so much sense. Then at least if you're doing political discourse online, you know it's all people of voting age. People who have an education in, like, what politics are, which will be a big thing in the solar scene. People will, like, understand politics in a different way. This is kind of going back to the last question, but, like, what makes democracy work is that, like, when people vote, we, like, consent to the fact that, like, okay, this is the government in power, but the internet makes so many little subgroups that it's, like... We never fully consent to the government in power. And it makes it kind of illegitimate. Yeah, hashtag not my president. Yeah, exactly. So I just think the internet really, really feeds this like bad democracy. Like it, it is democracy in that we vote, but it's not in that we legitimize it. Because even sometimes you vote for the party that you want to be in power, they win, but you don't really want them. Like, yeah, of course. You would have rather someone tea, else. Yeah. I think
0: also, this is a bit of a I haven't really thought this through, but Something the internet does is makes you aware of this, the massive size of things. I know people say it shrinks the world, but I think mm-hmm. in some ways, let's say in Canada, it really makes you consider how big the country is when there are premiers, which are our provinces leaders from across the country, which is really across the continent who you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And like people in Vancouver, which is the other coast have a massive say in. Who your prime minister will be, or who your mm-hmm. so it, you know, it makes you realize the size of this. And I think it does this through making you realize the size of the internet. It's like, wow, Twitter's really big. Mm-hmm. And when you see it and you see all the different parts of Twitter, which is why I referenced mm-hmm. earlier, you realize that local things will be nicer. Like yeah. you talked about the community guidelines, which you accepted
2: mm-hmm. when you signed,
0: when you joined the site, but no one actually read those. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is I think the site's so big that the community guidelines have to be so massive mm-hmm. to, to cover all the bases. Whereas if we had a more kind of local social media, a more mm-hmm. geographic based one, maybe you could just be part of the moderation team. Yeah. Like, so things like this, just just as you can if you want volunteer to go to the town hall meeting, those mm-hmm. are open. So it's, it's kind of like that, but we can't really go to the Twitter town hall meetings No, because it's it's a global governance thing
1: mm-hmm. yeah i'm thinking a little bit this is maybe a example we can close the episode on a real life example of like a community coming together in real life that i recently was a part of so i joined a knitting circle and i only had like known about it from online so like i only knew the people who are going to be there from their few facebook posts of like i'm gonna bring lemonade i'm going to bring biscuits i'm gonna bring some yarn to share So it's like this is i have like one-line snapshots of who these people are going to be so you create an image in your head then you show up and it's like there were only like 10 people but even within the 10 people we like organized ourselves kind of by by interest like immediately like there was the knitters over here the crocheters and the people who were (laughs) embroidering and it was like it's just funny because it's like these are all things that we think we can do online very well of like organizing ourselves and sharing interests and building relationships but it's like until you get into real life like you really have no idea what these people are going to be like and also there was it was kind of a funny like moderation in that one person was kind of facilitating the event and you could see when like one person would like talk over others there was like the immediate social pressure of like let everybody else talk <laughs> like that's just kind of like how we, you don't have to say it. it's just like yeah. an obvious thing and like the person who was kind of moderating the group would be like oh what do you think of this or oh I know you have an interest similar to this and kind of facilitating the conversation like that but online like there's no actual volume so it's like one person can be dominating the conversation of 10 people but there's no like social cues to be like Shh. like let yeah. someone else talk there's no
0: incentive to do that anyway yeah because attention is kind of the only currency mm-hmm Good point. Nice one to close on. Do we have a solo scene recommends for this week?
1: Go see the sheep if you're in Montreal.
0: Yeah, or
2: or anywhere. It's probably a lot of different places <laughs> to have sheep. Yeah. Go see the sheep.